0: January 6th is that day which brings the Christmas season to a close. Some of us are incredibly excited and happy about Christmas finally coming to a close because it feels like we've been celebrating Christmas since Labor Day. (laughs) Others of us are sorry to see Christmas come to a close and like to uh, uh, stretch it out till perhaps Easter time. Christmas is our uh, epiphany is the formal end of the Christmas season, sometimes called Twelfth Day. January 6th is the day of Epiphany, the day on which we mark, celebrate, and remember the revealing of Jesus to the Gentiles, to the Magi. And during this brief season of Epiphany, we read and we hear about Jesus being revealed as the Son of God, the Savior of the world, first to the Magi, And then in wider crowds, as we read and we hear about his baptism, we read and we hear about his turning of water into wine at a wedding in Cana. Epiphany celebrates what I think we could consider a series of aha moments, those moments where even if only for a brief moment in time, the the veil is lifted and understanding about who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do is, is gained. Epiphany is Revelation. Now think about it in this way. We, we've all had aha moments before, right? Where something just didn't make sense and then something happened or we witnessed something, we read something, and then, oh, now I understand, now I get it. We all, we all have those, right? Aha, <clears throat> uh-huh, yes. All right. It's, seems like y'all are still asleep from New Year's, Appreciate. Sure about Think about it this way. I, you know, I love movies, and I know that most of you love movies. And um, aha moments are oftentimes crucial uh, to movies. And a master of an aha moment, at least early in his career, was M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, he has a revelation. He has a uh, an aha moment in almost every one of his movies at a very crucial moment in the third act of the film. This aha moment changes the story as it sheds new light on what has come before, and it, it colors everything that, that comes after. For example, in The Sixth Sense. Now, The Sixth Sense has been out for at least 15 years, people, so I don't have to give you a spoiler alert. If you haven't seen it by now, tough. <laughs> right, the, the, the main characters in The Sixth Sense are, are Bruce Willis, who's a psychiatrist, and, and the little boy played by Holy, uh, Haley Joel Osment, who's uh, got visions of dead people, and he helps the dead people find... Uh, resolution to their pain and suffering, and they can rest in peace. The aha moment in the sixth sense is you find out, along with Bruce Willis, that he's the dead person the little boy's trying to help. That's an aha moment, and that just changes everything for the first three quarters of the movie. Or or Shyamalan's movie, The Village, uh, a great, great movie, one of my favorites, in fact, uh, by him, in which You've got this uh, 19th century village surrounded by forest, and the inhabitants of the village don't go into the forest because there's monsters. Well, in the third act of the film, you find out, along with the, the blind and the brave main character, Ivy, as she's going through the forest to get penicillin for her beloved, you discover that the monsters in the forest are just costumes that are people who put the costumes on to control the village. And that changes everything from before, and it colors everything that comes after. These are moments that make a good film great and a great film spectacular. And in similar fashion, Epiphany celebrates these aha moments in the Gospels where Jesus' identity is revealed. Epiphany celebrates these aha moments of the Gospels in which God's glory shines forth. Jesus' identity being revealed, it gives new meaning to everything that came before. And Jesus' identity being revealed colors everything that he will do after. This morning we hear about the visit of the Magi from Matthew 2, 1 through 12. Having briefly discussed the sort of the mechanics of Jesus being born, Matthew quickly turns to answer the question: Who is this child? And he begins to show who Jesus is in this passage. Matthew chapter 2. Here in our passage with the visit of the wise men, the visit of the magi, the epiphany, Jesus is revealed to be the legitimate king for all people. This is an aha moment for Herod and for Jerusalem, for the magi, and for readers of Matthew like ourselves. And in this passage, I think we find the, the core, the meaning of the passage really bound up With two primary comparisons, two primary contrasts. Herod is the foil in both of them. The first contrast is between Herod the king and Jesus the king. And we see in the contrast that Herod is the illegitimate king, whereas Jesus is the true legitimate king. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying... Where is he that has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Let's pause just for a moment and understand Herod so that in the contrast with Jesus, we can understand Jesus just a little bit more. Herod ruled as so called king of Judea for a long period of time 33 years. He ruled as king. He was a a crafty politician. He was not king because of anything other than his ability to manipulate and navigate the complicated world of Roman politics in his time period. Judea had essentially become under Roman control around the year 63 B.C., When Pompey led soldiers into Jerusalem in 663 B.C., any leader, any governor, any so-called king in Judea, in Jerusalem, had to be aligned with Rome to hold power. Herod was loved by the Roman politicians. He managed to be on the good side of Emperor Augustus. He kept the taxes flowing from Judea into Rome. And while he was loved by Rome he was hated and despised by the people he ruled over. He was hated for a few reasons, the first of which was his ethnic heritage. He was half Jewish. He was an Idumean by birth, and so he was chronically an outsider among the people he ruled. It doesn't matter what he built. It didn't matter the magnificent economy or the building programs. He was always an outsider. Herod was never truly viewed as a legitimate ruler. Instead, he was oftentimes seen as nothing more than a Roman lackey who, was a collect- who collected taxes in order to keep his power. He was vicious. He was ruthless. He executed even perceived enemy- any perceived enemies. He even executed a wife and a son. It was into this illegitimate king's throne room that the magi come, and with no subtlety, with no political correctness, they ask to see the real king. Now imagine going into the Oval Office and saying to the president, yeah, I know you're sitting in that chair, but would you point out to me the real president, please? That's essentially what the Magi have done. And naturally, Matthew tells us, Herod and all of Jerusalem were troubled. They're in turmoil. If a new king was born, If a legitimate king was born, if a king was born that would raise up military power and challenge Rome, then Herod and his political appointees would now find themselves in a really awkward position. And so with evil intent, Herod asks where the king of the Jews, the Christ, might be found. Herod, the illegitimate king, wants to know where he can find Jesus, the legitimate king. And why is Jesus the legitimate king? We point out Jesus is a legitimate king because he's been promised by God, and his birth fulfills prophecy. The scribes and the chief priests, when they were gathered together by Herod, he asked them, where is the Christ? Where is the Messiah? Where is the king to be born? And they turned to pages of prophecy. They turned to the Old Testament. They turned to the book of Micah. And they told him, reading from or reciting to him the book of, part of the book of Micah in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written, by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. In Matthew's note of prophetic fulfillment, we see that Jesus is born a legitimate king. The scribes and the chief priests turn to the prophecy of Micah 5.2 with a bit from verse 4, and they give the location of the true king as Bethlehem. Through Micah, God had promised that Bethlehem would be the birthplace of the Christ, the Messiah, the promised legitimate king of the Jews, and that this true king wouldn't simply be a political king or ruler, but he would be the shepherd of Israel. There's an important statement by God in Ezekiel chapter 34 in reference to shepherds of Israel. In that prophecy of Ezekiel 34, God spoke through the prophet Ezekiel, and he denounced the leaders of Israel, calling them bad shepherds. And in Ezekiel 34, God promised that he would come and be the shepherd that seeks out his flock. In Ezekiel 34, he promised that he will be the shepherd who will seek out the lost, bring back the strayed, bind up the injured, and strengthen the weak. And here, in uh, the search for a legitimate king, They turn to a prophecy that says, from Bethlehem shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Matthew seems to be making this connection. The one born king comes from God as the shepherd sent by God, who is God himself. As Micah writes in chapter 5, verse 4 of his book of prophecy, the shepherd shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God an aha moment for Herod not only does Herod know who he is now he knows that one has been born sent by God to be the king appointed by God and you don't get more legitimate than that not only is he the illegitimate king but the true and legitimate king the one sent as the shepherd has come Jesus is the legitimate king he is the king for all the people. Now, I've mentioned as we began here this morning that this passage contains two primary contrasts. The first between Jesus and Herod, the illegitimate and the legitimate kings. The second contrast is between the Magi and Herod. Now, we know who Herod was, but, but who were the Magi? Now, commonly called wise men, the term Magi refers to sorcerers or magicians, or astronomers, or astrologers. They were sky watchers. Not sky walkers, sky watchers. In ancient Persia, Persia, the astrologers had an intense interest in charting the movement of the stars and, and connecting those movements of the stars with political events here around the world. It was widely held, a widely held belief that the stars would align, would uh, move in some way to proclaim the birth of a great person. In fact, the historians Suetonius and Tacitus both report that there was an ancient expectation that a world ruler would come from Judea, and so perhaps it was that There were stars that were aligning in such a way that they came to understand or think that this world ruler had now been born in Judea. That clearly is what's happening here. And so these magi, these wise men from Babylon or Persia, saw the great sign in the heavens. They understood it to mean that an important ruler, one with a worldwide impact, had been born in Judea, and they do a phenomenal thing. They packed up their camels and they went The contrast between the Magi and Herod lies in how they respond to Jesus. It shows their respective responses show something about Jesus. A pastor by the name of Kent Edwards puts it this way. Jesus is the great polarizer. It's as if all of humanity were iron filings laid out on a sheet of paper, and Jesus is the magnet. Every single filing lines up, either with the North Pole or the South Pole. Every person is either attracted to or repelled by the person of Jesus Christ, because he's a magnet. The power and influence of his very being cannot be ignored. The Magi show their attraction, inherit his rejection. rejected Jesus. They respond with hostility to the newly born child. They had all the information they needed to find the child, and yet what did they do? They did nothing. and In fact, they let the magi go and do the hard work while they sat on their thrones of luxury, telling them, report back when you find the child. And Herod's intention wasn't to worship the child. His intention was to kill the child, as the rest of St. Matthew records in chapter 2. It's so fascinating that these magi, these pagan astrologers, recognize the testimony of creation. They recognize the child as a legitimate king. Those who are on the inside, those in Jerusalem who should have been the first to worship, were plotting his death already, while those on the outside were at the feet of the Messiah Worshiping. Jesus isn't just the true King for Israel, but He is the true King for the world. And in their worship, the Magi fulfill prophecies which proclaim that very truth. The very beginning of our service this morning, we read from Psalm 72, it talks about gold being brought from the nations and kings bowing down. Doug read for us this morning from Isaiah chapter sixty, and the very actions of the Magi. We find God's promises fulfilled. The nations will and do recognize Jesus as King. An aha moment. Jesus, the legitimate King, is the King for all people. And these revelations are powerful because they give new meaning to everything that has come before. The prophecy from Ezekiel chapter 34 how is it fulfilled in this person, Jesus? The prophecy of Micah chapter 5, how is it fulfilled in this person, Jesus? The prophecies of Isaiah 7 of 9, uh, how are they fulfilled in Jesus? The prophecies all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, how is it fulfilled in Jesus? Everything that comes before is now uh, new, has new meaning, has new life, new vitality because of the birth of the true King, Jesus. And everything that comes after this, is changed because of who Jesus is. He isn't just some prophet. He doesn't just have good news to tell you about how you can live your life better and and live your best life now. He's not just here to make all your dreams and fantasies come true. He's here to change your life and give you new life. How do we know? Because he's the true king. He isn't just a guy who can multiply fish. He isn't just a guy who can break bread and watch it multiply. He isn't just a guy who can suddenly somehow turn water into wine or walk on water or make a blind man see. He isn't just some guy who can do a miracle working. He is the very incarnation of the eternal Son of God. He is the true king, and we're seeing this here before pagan Gentiles. Jesus in this epiphany is revealed more to be more than just another baby. He is the one whose birth is heralded by angels. The shepherds bow down before and pagan astrologers come to see. And if this is an aha moment, if there ever was one, we see here reflected really amazing good news God has come in flesh, not just for a select frozen chosen, but for the world, and he has come to be the king. And at some point in our lives, we all have to come to a decision. We all have to figure out, what are we going to do with Jesus? We'll either be like the Magi and fall at his feet in faith and worship, or we'll be like Herod and respond with hostility and rejection. The simple truth of the matter is this, Jesus is the King and the Lord. Now, what are you going to do with that? As Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, a time is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess this truth. A time is coming where epiphany will occur again and Jesus will be recognized as Lord. Our knees will bow in conviction or compulsion. The marvelous and overwhelming grace of God reveals this to us and it reveals something else. God is ascending and a saving God. He has sent Jesus, the King, to save his people. And as God is ascending and saving God, all those who have responded to Jesus with faith and with worship are in turn sent. Our aha moment with Jesus where we recognize him as Lord and Savior then enlists us into God's work and his mission. And in some ways, the visit of the Magi at the beginning of Matthew foreshadows the end of Matthew. The gospel begins with people from the nations coming to Jesus, and it ends with Jesus sending his disciples out into the nations to gather and make disciples. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And here we find another aha moment. Having received the epiphany of the glory of God in Jesus, we are to be agents of that very epiphany, going into the world and encountering people with Jesus and praying that they too, may have an aha moment to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. This is what the Great Commission of Matthew 28 is all about, and this is why our vision at Emmanuel Church is to be a church that glorifies God by blessing people with gospel ministries that they may believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior and join us in building His kingdom. We are a people of the epiphany. Having received the epiphany, we then do whatever we can to give it away. That others, too, may know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Epiphany is a short season. It's just a few weeks long between Christmas and Lent. But we really are to be an epiphany people all the year long. We bear the responsibility of carrying out the mission. We bear the privilege of being brought into God's divine plan of redemption and used by Him to see others come to know Christ. Having heard the good news of Jesus that he is the true king who has come to shepherd his people, we dare not be like Herod, who just sits there like a lump and does nothing but reject Jesus. Rather, we dare be like the magi who sprint to the feet of the Savior and give ourselves to him. And there are two sides then to Epiphany. Christ revealed to us and Christ manifested through us. How do we, having received epiphany, turn around and offer that to the world around us? The epiphany of Jesus to the Magi reveals that He is the legitimate King for all the people. I've said this to you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.